This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh and he has to. No. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? We've had so much good correspondence, we just wanted to get into it in a special bonus episode. So here we are, I'm Chris Gold, joining me Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And a man who describes Rory DeLapp's long throws as Rory de crap, oh. it's Michael Mark. Hello. There is a feeling that I don't I don't really allow Rory DeLapp as a long thrower because he isn't from the 90s. Or is he? Is he from the 90s? I would bet he played at least one game in the 90s. Should we have a look? Yeah. Born 6th of July, 1976. Yeah, he's going to be fine. And he, oh, look, he started at Carlisle in 94. Oh, well, there we go. Rory Delap is one of my favourite long throwers of all time. <laughs> <laughs> is it the, the Wikipedia picture for Rory Delap? Yeah, I've just it's seen him, it. It's him drying off a ball, getting ready for a long throw. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. What an absolute slam. <laughs> Absolutely perfect, Rory Delap picture. Uh, we wanted to do an extra episode just for you to all enjoy, but also to let you know that uh, we are doing our third live Zoom show on Sunday evening at 8 pm. Tickets are £5 and they are available on the links in our social media, or you can watch every Zoom show we ever do for free by signing up to be an XJ8 Patreon member. You also get those Steve Barnes episodes. You also get those extra bonus other episodes, including film clubs and our spooky episode where we talked about Mick Quinn seeing a ghost. You also get free merchandise. Head over to patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin or go onto our social media if you want to just buy a ticket for this quarterfinal. It is Alex Brooker versus Ivo Graham bringing their teams to clash in a head-to-head championship manager 97-98 game 
Here is a clip of what went on in the second quarterfinal to show you what it's all about. It's- and obviously at the time we had like amazing defenders, Stuart Pearce at number three. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can't, that guy was, it, it, there's more to him than just football. Um, he, he was like the front Is man he of a band. footballer ever? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely another them and still am. And just, I, you know, it's a, I, I do adore him. You know, I really, I'm just so interested. I want to know everything about him, you know. It's like, oh, tell me all you see. What's it like <laughs> when you've met him? I just get too nervous. He's one of the few people that makes me really, really, really nervous. And, you know, it's... It, it's what do you think that... of you, do you think? Oh, God. The last time I was on Talk Sport with him, they got me to do my impression of him to him. Oh. And like, you know, doing it to William Hague, you're like, fine. Doing it to Stuart <laughs> Pierce, it's like... Because simultaneously, he's known as psycho, but also there's something quite vulnerable about Stuart Pierce. Yeah. I know you And mean. he's clearly slightly self-aware. So I said, well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Pierce is one of those people who would, like, invent words. So you go, you know, it's not the, not the most glamourable of fixtures, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he just went, yeah, sounds like the sort of thing I'd have said, yeah. To be fair, yeah. It's just a normal bloke with a little, you know, very softly spoken. Yeah. It's like when Mike Tyson, you know, I, I didn't mean to get in no trouble, I didn't mean to insult your family. You're like, wow, do you sound like that? <laughs> well, you know, Stuart Pierce is now out. first team coach at West Ham. I, I actually see quite a lot of him. I was chatting to him this week. I no. I'm spending quite a lot of time with him at the moment. And what's he like? And, well, have you made it into the first team, Scott? Not quite. <laughs> But we, when we did that, we originally interviewed uh, Stuart Pierce for this podcast. It was on the promise that we would get him some gig tickets through a connection we have at Warner Music. And so yeah. we promised him some gig tickets. That's why he's done it. But we never then gave him the gig tickets. And so every time I have an interaction with him, I'm slightly scared that he will remember that I owe him a favour. <laughs> does he ever bring it up? No, he doesn't. He does Chris, he, mate, does he, he get his two tickets to Little Mix, <laughs> could you, mate? <laughs> Being in lockdown, having this to look forward to is absolutely massive. This Sunday night, we all know you've got no plans. There's no restaurant reservations being made, but we can all sit indoors on our laptops and joke about David Batty having car keys in his sock, talk about Jerry Francis's hair, and then have the evening culminate in a big CM9798 clash of the titans in our third quarter final. And I should just say as well, anyone that was there last time saw me uh, make an entrance in a uh, Coca-Cola man of the match jacket. <laughs> oh. I've I've got another little treat for you guys. Oh, oh another there entrance. Go. Very exciting. What I'm saying is the props budget on these live shows <laughs> is bankrupting me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all tax deductible, Michael. It's all tax deductible. <laughs> Michael on these like, these Zoom live shows is like a Fleetwood Mac tour. He actually goes like, he sells out every night, but he's, he comes home and having lost money. Very much the Blue Monday. Um, Shall <laughs> um, we? We get so much good correspondence. Is this a chance to do some of it? Yes. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag. You've got mail. Well, why not? Let's talk about Pat Nevin's beverage generosity. This is from Gavin Shearer. Pat Nevin's beverage generosity sounds like the type of band Pat Nevin would listen to. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Okay. I've just just had a thought. Like, but when lockdown is over, surely we can organise like a night out that is just exclusively 90s football DJs. Oh. Danny, Danny, Dick, we can put the bill together. Danny Dickio. Pat Nevin, Danny Dickio. Didn't Trevor Sinclair spin a few discs? Oh, my word. 
It really would be a real clash of cultures. I can't imagine Danny Dicchio and Pat Nevin have got much overlap. <laughs> Guys, Commendietta's the most kind of respective DJ of the 90s, isn't he? Of 90s football. Of 90s football. I, mean, I thought you just went generally. <laughs> yeah, I left yeah. too big of a pause there. Fat boy Slim coming up in second. <laughs> right. I'm a long-term listener and uh, recently signed up as an XJ8 member. Good work. And I thought I'd email to tell of a bizarre incident I witnessed on a flight involving one of your guests from way back in Series 3. In 2014, me and a mate were catching a connecting flight from Amsterdam to Warsaw to witness our beloved Scotland play Poland in a vital Euro 2016 qualifier. Prior to takeoff, we spent a prolonged period on the runway waiting to take off and were told by the air stewards that we were waiting on one passenger. 20 minutes later, the passenger eventually rushed through the front doors. It was Pat Nevin. He was sweating heavily and presumably it had been a mad dash across Schiphol Airport to catch his connecting flight to the Polish capital. But it was what happened on the flight that would have made his bad day even worse. His seat on the plane was directly across the aisle from me and right next to a fully kilted 18 stone Tartan Army member. And the man seemed quite underwhelmed that he was sitting next to one of our Euro 92 heroes. The flight was operated by KLM and they had a policy of two complimentary trolley services on a short flight such as this one. One shortly after takeoff and one 30 minutes before landing uh, with each passenger allocated a maximum of two drinks either soft or alcoholic per trolley service. It was here where the already boozed up fan took advantage of his indie loving wing wizard. Are you having a drink Pat? The man asked as the trolley approached. Pat, somewhat naively, thought the man was offering to buy him one and replied, no, thanks anyway, but I'm working at the game tonight. The man then had the extreme brass neck to say, no, it's complimentary. Everyone gets two drinks each, but seeing as you aren't having anything, I'll take yours. When the woman asks, say you want two red wines. (laughs) (laughs) I think this man was going purely on the alcohol percentage because the big man did not look like a fine wine connoisseur. Pat looked taken aback as by giving the fan two red wines, he would be sacrificing even so much as a cup of coffee or a water for himself. <laughs> but he reluctantly agreed. Two red wines, love, said the fan as the air stewardess, before a parched Pat reluctantly muttered, and I'll have the same. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a nice guy to his own detriment. The fan barely waited before the trolley got to the next row before he snatched the two mini bottles from Pat's table. Pat looked on as the big man devoured four wines in no time. But the tartan foot soldier didn't stop there. When the trolley came around for the second time, he told Pat to do the same again. And he did. (laughs) (laughs) By the time we touched down in Warsaw... Pat's new mate had sunk eight red wines. The tricky thing about that situation is like once, once you've agreed to it once, you're in. Then well, you Pat, can't go no, no. Who had suffered a mad dash across Amsterdam to catch the flight. Looked like he was about to collapse due to dehydration. What a great act of kindness from a Scotland legend. Keep up the good work. Gavin Shearer from John O'Groats. There we go. Okay. So this is Brian Rockneen. Uh, it's not 90s, of course, but definitely a 90s-inspired Man of the Match award. I'm going to uh, just text you this image. Let's never forget the time that Mamelodi Sondo's captain, Halomfo Kalna, was awarded five gigabytes of data for being named Man of the Match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. 
And they've given him like a giant SIM card. Like, one of those yeah. <laughs> like a big check, but of a SIM card, a five gig <laughs> SIM card. Do we know what year this was? No, I don't. I mean, I suppose you could Google his name. And... Five gig might be a lot, <laughs> depending on the year. Suddenly it makes the bike, it doesn't make the bike look so bad. No, would you take the bike or would you take that? I mean, you wouldn't even take that home from the stadium, would you? When Ravenelli's moving out of his house, mind you, in Ravenelli's day, five gig of data, that'll last you a decade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so this is from David Bird. This is, uh, let's go back to the 1890s for more of our favorite 1890s stories. Further to your 1890s football stories, as a Sunderland fan, a lot of us are aware of the famous game when Sunderland played a game of three halves. The game of three halves. This is, there is a longer article in the blizzard, but I'm going to go with the Wikipedia one. The game of three halves was the name given to a football match played between Sunderland and Derby County on the opening day of the 1894-95 English football season. Derby had travelled to Sunderland on September the 1st for their first round fixture in the new first division season. But as the nominated referee T. Kirkham was running late, the game started with replacement referee John Conqueror in charge. Descended from William. Descended from William. (laughs) After 45 minutes play, with Sunderland leading 3-0, Kirkham arrived and made the incredible decision to ask Derby if they wanted to start the game from scratch. Derby accepted, meaning that the 45 <laughs> minutes had already been played with Sunderland 3-0 up were null and void. Wow. Two more halves followed, thus allowing three halves to be played. But the decision to start the match again did not help Derby. They conceded a further three goals in the second half and five in the third half to lose the match 8-0. 1890s football was absolutely fucking mad, wasn't it? <laughs> I really want to watch that on Sky, wouldn't you? What the game the teams of three just halves? Decided to, yeah, they've just decided to just start again. <laughs> Can you imagine Mourinho's face if Spurs were three 0 up and they, the referee allowed them to start again? Um, do you remember, a few years ago, West Ham played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, and um, we just played eleven at the back, basically defended. And uh, at the end, we drew nil nil, and at the end of it, Jose Mourinho said, uh, "This was nineteenth century football from uh, from Big Sam." And lots of people pointed out, like, if it was 19th century football, it, the game would have ended 25-21. Yes. The five like, up front. The yeah, inverted five pyramid. up front. Like, Mourinho has this misconception that 19th century football was actually really tight. There weren't a lot of goals. The opposite is true, Jose. You're meant to be a student of the game. Exactly. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, well, in honour of Championship Manager 97-98 and our Zoom live show, 8pm on Sunday, tickets available on social media or just become an XJ8 Patreon member, come for free. This is from Michael Patterson. And as well as being about CM97, this is a Do I Remember This Right? 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 Right. Hello, Quickly Kevin team. I hope this email finds you well. As a new listener to the podcast since lockdown started, constant CM9798 chat rekindled my memories of a 10-year-old me playing the game to death. It made me fall in love with the Football Manager series, which I still play to this day. After racking up some unhealthy hours playing the game, my cousins, who were also big CM9798 fans, introduced me to the editor. My young mind was blown being able to manipulate the game in such a way. It was literally like discovering a new game for me. Anyway, after doing the standard stuff with the editor, creating myself, Max Stats, giving my Wigan team a 100,000-seater stadium, unlimited funds, putting Ronaldo in the team, I started to venture beyond the norm. 
After putting my school team in numerous leagues and winning them all, I set about creating a Hollywood FC. This was to be made up of actors with max stats and all playing the Nicholas Alexanderson role. Due to Google being his infancy, my young mind devoid of film actors, my squad combined fictional characters and actors. Basically, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Obi-Wan Kenobi were in the same team. (laughs) So here is where it gets strange. After doing the above, I save the editor down and go to start a new game. And it begins to load up as normal. But halfway through loading the database, the game goes off and back to the Windows screen. I thought that the Windows 95 Packard Bell family computer had decided enough was enough and to give up the ghost. Then what happened blew my mind. Remember when you used to boot up CM9798 and the DOS program would come up first? The white text of the black background would appear before the game would start. Basically, it popped up after I thought the game had crashed, saying that Arnold Schwarzenegger's name was trademarked and I was unable to start the game on copyright grounds. No. What? I'm also pretty sure an Arnie film quote was thrown into the text for good measure. Surely, surely not. This is over 20 years ago now, so my memory is sketchy at best, but I'm sure this was a thing. As I said at the start of the email, I'd love to know if this was true. Kind regards, Michael. I mean, that's fascinating, but I can't believe that's true because surely the fact that the data editor is in the hands of the player or whoever does it means... because. There are so many things that are copyrighted that would also apply. Yeah. I don't I don't believe that would be programmed or coded in. I mean it's it's a great story, but I'm gonna say it's not true. Well, if anyone can contradict Michael, I, I do understand where you're coming from, Michael. I do unless it was just a quirky joke they'd put in in case anyone ever put in Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, I would say that is the deepest Easter egg that has ever been created. <laughs> It's so deep, isn't it? I struggle with that. If anyone has had that happen, uh, do get in touch. A while ago, we talked about trees in football grounds. Well, we talked about the tree at the the Kent cricket ground, didn't we? Yeah. So this is from Martin Ricks. After a correspondence special and the discussion of a tree in Kent County cricket ground, I thought I'd mention the situation my hometown club, St Albans City, faced in the 1992-93 season. The club currently ply their trade in the National League South, but in the early 90s, were an Isthmian League Premier Division side. At the end of the 92-93 season, they finished runners-up, but were denied promotion to the Vauxhall Conference due to their ground, Clarence Park, not meeting the league's ground standards. The main problem was a large oak tree that protruded out of the terracing at one end of the ground. I'm going to send you the photo. See that? (laughs) Isn't it? So that is, that's what, 10 steps of terracing and then... Three steps from the top is a huge oak tree in the middle of the terracing. I think it's nice, actually. I really it like is nice, it. isn't it? Yeah. I like that. I like grounds like that. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, the main so the main problem that meant they couldn't be go up to the conference was the large oak tree that protruded out of the terracing at one end of the ground. The tree had a preservation order on it, meaning it could not be cut down. Though the acorns were used as miniature missiles for home fans throwing them at visiting goalkeepers. But as a result, the Saints were not promoted. In 1999, the tree was diagnosed as diseased and cut down. Though, of course, many fans don't believe the disease really existed. <laughs> the club did finally make it to the conference, winning promotion in 2006, but were relegated one season after. Thank you, Martin Ricks. 
That's amazing, isn't That's it? A lovely little story. Yeah, I, I, I kind of sad that the tree's gone. I, I, you know, I much prefer a quirky little ground, don't you? Love it. One thing about lockdown, I really miss is the away day, especially to like. I miss some of these London grounds, like Fulham, yeah, Selhurst Park, the really old ones. Plymouth are at Charlton on Boxing Day. Uh, heartbreak. I, I negotiated. Well, not even negotiated. That implies, but I'd said. That well, well, I had negotiated, let's be honest, with my wife <laughs> to go on Boxing Day to Plymouth versus Charlton. And now, what a pointless negotiation that has proved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love an away day. I love an away ground. What's the uh, what's the kind of smallest, weirdest ground you've been to? But we played Wimbledon last year in the or a couple of years ago in the oh, league. Yeah, you're, on the, you're on the. So we played at Kings Me- the the Kings Meadow. Is it? I yeah, think it Kingstonians was? ground. Kingstonians ground. Really weird, real kind of industrial estate vibes. Yeah, and um, I think there's a sewage. There may be a sewage dealing plant behind the ground as well, which gives it a real kind of atmosphere. <laughs> I think any ground quirks you've got, I love. You know, send them in. Weird quirks that only uh, apply to grounds. Obviously, we should we should build a ground of all the the quirks so we'd have the tree from um i can't even remember where that team was now and then we'd have <laughs> st albans st albans and then we'd have the uh, the flats from Leighton orient yeah the car park at Shelter, the old stamford bridge yeah the car park behind stamford bridge the river from shrewsbury town that was next to the ground the weird stand at the dell the weird stand at the dell why don't we okay we can probably do a bit of this now so one stand each from a ground so behind the two stands behind each goal are the the tree from St Albans, that stand. Yeah. The other end is the the dell. Okay, the, the can tree, I have one of the, the grandstands? Which is yes. Did you ever play on Championship Rangers ninety seven ninety eight away at Lincoln City? And the picture yeah. was like one was really stand. one tall but thick like stand that just didn't fit in the ground at all. So I'd have that on one side. Whenever you see aerial pictures of Old Trafford, that one rubbish stand you've got. Looks tiny, even though I bet it's you know it's quite big. I love I, that's why I do like Old Trafford and Anfield more because they're mismatched. I love that kind of feeling of mismatched rather than yeah. uniform. Old Trafford doesn't get commented on much. It's a quirky move to go with the corner tunnel. I think. Yeah, I, I think it's better. I think the corner tunnel. Yeah, yeah, I much prefer it because there's something about that oblique angle when they come out on the telly that makes, like the old Wembley. Yeah, it makes it makes it look kind of grander. Yeah, oh, the old Wembley where they'd walk from one end and it seemed to be like a mile they were walking to get to the pitch. Yeah. Actually, Old Trafford and the old Wembley, well, I never understood, you know, that there is a tunnel in the middle there. So did the teams never come out of that tunnel? Apparently the one in the middle was used until the early 90s, but they moved the changing room facilities to the corner um, uh. of the Stretford End South Stand and the journey from there to the middle tunnel was such a pain in the ass that they decided to install a new tunnel in the corner. Ah, ah, it was go. like, this is Spinal Tap. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone seen Clayton Blackmore? <laughs> <laughs> they finally made their way out of the tunnel. Hang on, this is Main Road. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want a confession? Yes. Talking of the old Wembley. If we could have the confessions music. This is from Dave Webb, presumably not the former Chelsea manager. Listening to recent podcasts that contain confessions relating to 90s players, can I take this opportunity to seek penance for an incident that happened in the mid-90s involving a referee, Wembley, and a group of PE students who'd just finished their degrees? Now, this involves a job... You know a job that you've never actually thought about but you were aware existed? 
So, the story begins in May 1995, when a group of 12 PE students were asked to work, how much would you like this job? At the playoff weekend at Wembley for Ensley Insurance, the then league sponsor. The job was simple. Go to Wembley for three days, stand in the middle of the pitch, and wave the big centre circle sized Ensley flag as the teams walked out at the start of the game. So you know those people that just bounce the middle of the big flag in the centre yes. circle? Then sit behind the team dugout, watch the match, have a big night out in London, and then repeat for the next two days. <laughs> Pretty simple. It included 60 quid cash in hand, three nights at the Wembley Hilton, and a free track suit. <laughs> Amazing, those jobs. I hadn't even considered that people do that job in a way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> those flags, those massive flags as well. I, I'd, I've never picked one up, but I bet that's difficult. Well, the only caveat being you had to be over six foot, as Ensley had already bought the track suits, and they were huge. The first two days went swimmingly. Chesterfield 2, Barry 0. Huddersfield 2, Bristol Rovers 1. Both games pretty forgettable, I think. I can't remember. After the Huddersfields game, we retreated to the Hilton to get ready for another big London night out. Whilst we gathered the hotel bar, we got talking to officials for the game the next day, the big game of the weekend. Reading v Bolton for a place in the Premier League. The referee for that game was Peter Foulkes, who expressed concern to us that our rooms in the hotel were all on the same corridor as his. He was aware we were heading out to the bright lights of London and asked us to ensure we keep it down, lads, on our return, as he had to get his sleep before the big game. Fast forward to 3am, we staggered into the hotel on the wrong side of Absolutely Hammered. Amongst our group was a large Scotsman called Andy. Uh, He had a reputation for being a drinker and he had not let himself down. However, shortly after going to bed, he urgently needed the toilet Rather than entering his ensuite, he exited the room into the corridor. Staggering up and down the corridor, he lost his bearings somewhat, not remembering which room it was actually his. Given this predicament, he decided to bang as loudly as possible on every door in the corridor in an attempt to get back in. Eventually, a bedroom door was opened by match referee Peter Folks, who was met by the sight of a six foot four, highly inebriated, bollock-naked Scotsman. The foul-mouthed rage that ensued would have made David Ellery blush as Folks gave Andy what for. <laughs> The next day, we woke up late. At 2.50, we were standing in the centre circle of Wembley, waving a giant flag as Reading and Bolton were led out of the tunnel, led by the match officials, including Peter Folks. As he neared us in the middle of the pitch, he spotted Andy and pointed at him. Once he gained his attention, he then ran his thumb across his throat in an extremely menacing way. (laughs) To the best of my knowledge, the events of the night before did not have a significant impact when it came to the most entertaining games I see. But can I apologise to Peter Folks for almost ruining his final game as a league ref? That is from David Webb. He, Peter Folks would definitely remember that. I wouldn't be getting back to sleep in that situation. I'd be too livid. I wonder if it was the same large Scottishman that was hassling Pat Nevin on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to tie us back to the start of this episode, talking about you have to be over six foot and strong to wave these flags about, Rory Delap, former almost Olympic javelin thrower. Really? Did we know that? I just caught my eye while we were on his Wikipedia page from before. Wow. Well, there we go. And that actually backs up that Dave Challenger would be good at the javelin. Here's a question. Would it be worth, even at this age, putting Steve Backley in your football team? (laughs) (laughs) Or Jan Zalesny. I don't mind which. Um, Steve Backley will be able to long throw it into the box. Would that outweigh the fact that he's going to be dead weight? (laughs) I mean, he's a natural sportsman as well. 
Well, I think it, it would only outweigh it if part of your tactic was to kick the ball against opposition players yeah. to get to get throw-ins, as many throw-ins as possible, unless we introduce what we talked about the other week, which is the whole uh, rule change special teams. And suddenly you have got players or, or Steve Backley. On comes Fatima Whitbread. <laughs> Coming <laughs> Daily Thompson's whipping in corners with his hand. <laughs> Well, you know, Usain Bolt, I was surprised. He took up football, didn't he, Like after his kind of running career? And he did it all right. I've seen some highlights of this game he played in Australia. You think, if you just, like, if we, if we, who are the best, what's the best 11 we could name of 90s athletes? Like Linford Christie up top. It'd be a handful. It'd cause problems. Well, Graham Gooch, former England cricket captain, in the winter, he would come train with the West Ham first team and he would actually play football. Like, yeah, and he was pretty good. He had a good standard to keep fit in between summer tours. You are aware, obviously, that Ian Botham used to play lots of times in the Football League for Scunthorpe. The only man to captain England while playing in the third tier of English football. Oh, lovely, lovely. Um, Have we discussed the maddest dugout of the 90s before? Because I think this should be added to our our mad, mad ground, which we should... um, Do you know what? We should do that as a thread on the forum of Quickly Kevin Fan Club forum, which you can join if you're on the Patreon. Uh, it would be a great thread uh, to get these all collated if anyone wants to start it. And if anybody wants to do a kind of crude Photoshop of the different parts of the ground. Yes. Uh, in the sort of like in a CAD or CAD design style. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Oh, we've, we've named them all from this and we'll, any, we'll accept any more entrants and we'll try and create the most quirky ground. Oh, would you be tempted to have Arsenal's painted North Bank? I'm pretty sure at Brisbane Road, Leighton Orient, the flats are in the corners. So that they remain an option. Okay. Can we have this Arsenal dugout in the ground? I've just sent it to you. Look at that. Oh, that's spectacular. I have seen that actually before and it rings a bell. So it's like a little double glazed little garden shed, but with like a, a wired top. And it's so compact in there i think it's eddie mcgoldrick at the back it looks like it is it is it is eddie mcgoldrick at the back um (laughs) yeah it's it's got like a kind of a gate in front of it or something which stuart houston's struggling to get through we'll put this picture on our twitter um how would you describe it michael well it is basically like someone's got some leftover conservatory parts and thought yeah rather than buy a real conservatory i'm just going to assemble these odds and ends but it's that that can't be at arsenal surely that must be that's, in, that's, that's a, a hybrid, hybrid. yeah that, i've seen that's actually a hybrid that's not an away game so this is from chris gee uh good afternoon i'm currently off work sick for two weeks after hernia operation get well soon i'm bored stiff but premier league years is saving me i've watched the 93 94 season many times i'm well aware of bobby gould resigning from coventry after a 5-1 loss to qpr and manu's comeback at Main Road. What I hadn't noticed is the bizarre dugouts at Highbury. Please see attached photo. I can't begin to work out what's going on. It looks like a cross between a bus shelter and a greenhouse. Um, anyway, back to seeing Swindon get hammered every week. Regards, Chris from Warrington. It's a weird one, isn't it? That is mad. I mean, it's it's so... I don't understand. I mean, I can only assume perhaps they were renovating the actual dugouts. So somebody sort of cobbled that together in the meantime. It's got a draining as well. (laughs) (laughs) It should definitely be added to the world's most quirky ground. Do you think um, George Graham bought it off a um, Scandinavian dugout (laughs) agent? He's also got a a nice free dugout at home. 
Okay. Are we going to end with our first quiz of the season, Chris? We are. But before we go, uh, before we end, this Sunday, 8pm, it's Ivo Graham versus Alex Brooker. It's quarterfinal number three. We know you've got nothing in the diary, but it doesn't get finer than watching two men play Championship Manager 97-98 with their best 11s. And that's what's going to happen on Sunday at 8pm in our third quarterfinal. Now... We used to end with a quiz. We've controversially dropped it this series. Don't worry, we'll be back next series. We've had a lot of feedback on the fact we don't end with the quizzes anymore. So with a special twist, Michael and Josh, you are now going to take part in a quiz that I have created. And when I say I have created, it's 11 v 11. And in honour of Ivo Graham and Alex Brooker going to -to head-to-head this Sunday, it is, of course, Arsenal versus Swindon Town from the 2nd of April, 1994. Rules, as always, you're allowed to make two mistakes. If you name a player on the bench and he came on, you keep your life. If you name a player who didn't start and wasn't on the bench and didn't come on, you lose a life. I feel quite tense. I'm not used to being this side of the uh, the mic. Pressure. This is like I saw Anton Deck today, uh, Bush Tucker trial this week. <laughs> <laughs> now, Michael, you've just revealed that you're feeling the pressure. I mean, why don't you, I'll give you the opportunity to go first and get a nice settler in, get your first ball right, compose yourself, Arsenal versus Swindon, who are you going with? Can I ask for the date again? It was the 2nd of April, 1994. I'm going to go for a a nice and easy David Seaman. You are correct. Lee Dixon. Got it bang on. One all. Sticking with the back four, Tony Adams. Yep. Absolutely correct. Josh? Nigel Winterburn. Oh, dear. Oh, come on. I mean, you have lost your first life. You can't legislate for injury. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, that's that's not a tactical change. So, Michael, you're on two lives. I thought you were going to go for the other centre-back and I would have been left with Winterburn. So I'm going to go with Martin Keown. Over Steve Bold. Oh, Michael, that is an absolutely huge shout. But I can reveal it's paid off for you. Martin Keown did start. To be honest, I'd forgotten about Steve Bold. (laughs) (laughs) Ian Wright? Oh, up front. We know Nigel Winterburn's out. Is this an injury curse that Arsenal going through in 94? It's not. Ian Wright starts up front. Michael, back to you. Um, 94. Can I just say, you you haven't named anyone from the Swindon Town team? No, of course not. (laughs) I maybe know two Swindon players. Um, Paul Merson? You are absolutely bang right. There's a lot of people on this in this fixture who've actually been on this podcast. John Moncur. Josh, you're bang right. Damn it. Michael? That was one of my safeties. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm going to play one of the only Swindon players I can think of. Janagov Fjortoft. Bit of a gamble, isn't it? But it's paid off for you. Jan Algafjortoft starts up front for Swindon. Back to you, Josh. Well, I remember from the Swindon dock, he considered himself to uh, not want to put the effort in uh, to keep his position because he felt that. But he was a he was a very talented player, and that was Mickey Hazard. Mickey Hazard. He didn't start. And he wasn't on the bench either. Oh. Michael, 2-0 victory. I think that's good for the game. I think that's good for the game. 
I'll reveal the full lineups in goal for Arsenal. Seaman, then Dixon, Adams, Keown, Linnigan filling in at left back, I believe. And Davis, Jensen, Merson, Parler, Alan Smith and Ian Wright up front. And then for Swindon, Nicky Hammond, Luke Nyholt, Brian Kilkline, Sean Taylor, Adrian Whitbread, Paul Bowden, John Monker, Laurie Sanchez, Nicky Summerby, Yan Arga Laurie Sanchez. And uh, up front with Yan Arga Keith Scott. There's a substitution in this game, which just feels like a, another era. Jan Alga Fjortef gets substituted for Frank McAvenny. What a, <laughs> what a meeting of the eras that is. No. Yes, there you go. McAvenny, McAvenny. coming off the bench. I had no idea that Frank McAvenny's career had even crossed my awareness of football. <laughs> that's that's, a, that's a great question. What, what, who's a 90s footballer that straddles, that sort of comes on or off for a player? that reaches back the furthest sort of straddles oh. those two generations you know like someone who has a kid at sort of 48 and suddenly at 78 and their child graduates can you get a bigger clash of cultures than Jan Fjortoft and uh Frank McAvenny <laughs> do you know what I'd take them just playing in the same game yeah I'd quite like I'd happily take Alan Ball was the youngest player wasn't he in the 1966 team so, yeah, as Alan Ball played with Gary Lineker or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just on substitutions that like that, I'm 99% sure that Ida Johnson came on as a substitute for his dad for Iceland. Yeah, yes. I think that might have happened as well. Yeah, I think that's a famous fact. So, uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, we're creating the, our, our quirkiest football ground ever and we are looking for era-clashing players well, playing in the same game. Tell you what. We've got a forum now, which you can get access to through patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin. We're going to set that up that for the discussion on the forum. How do we create your ultimate dream 90s stadium with all the various different elements? And what is the substitution that, that stretches the longest era between the two players? I'd take the knowledge that Gordon Banks played against Theo Walcott. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't need them to have been substitutes. We'll see you on Sunday at 8pm for Ivo versus Brooker. Have a look on our social media for a link to that. But other than that, hopefully see you Sunday. Robbie Slater, see you later. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. I, I, it's my first ever quiz and I won and I don't get to pick oh. the song that plays at the end of the show. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Michael. Song. <laughs> I would like the uh, the 12 minute long album version of Meatloaf's I Do Anything for Love, but I won't. Do it. <laughs> Enjoy. Oh, God.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.